Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn more about Him. This lesson is the third lesson in the exciting series that Brother Max Dawson, elder and evangelist in the church in Beaumont, Texas, presented to us at the Franklin Church about the Holy Spirit. What about the baptism of the Spirit? There's lots of confusion about that in the world today. There are lots of questions, and people say lots of different things. But what does the Bible say? Open your Bibles along with us, and let's learn what the Bible says about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is good to see each of you this afternoon. We're going to talk tonight, this afternoon, this evening, about the Holy Spirit, and particularly about Holy Spirit baptism. Has anyone ever asked you the question, have you received Holy Spirit baptism? A lot of well-meaning people ask that question, and yet it's apparent that the same people who ask that question don't really understand many of the basic truths about Holy Spirit baptism in the New Testament. A lot of folks don't even know what Holy Spirit baptism is, even though they talk about it. What's the purpose of Holy Spirit baptism, and is it for today? Well, many people today who claim to have Holy Spirit baptism do not act at all like those in the New Testament who had received the Spirit. And right off, when we start comparing what's in our Bible with what men are claiming today, we see some problems. And by looking at what the apostles could do in the Bible, and then comparing that with what men today cannot do, we're going to learn a great deal about Holy Spirit baptism and miraculous gifts. And so we're going to begin tonight by asking the question, do men receive Holy Spirit baptism and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit today? Now, many people claim it, okay? But the question is, is it so? Well, let me show you some of the problems that are going to immediately arise when men claim that they have some of the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, let's just see this, that if they do have it today, they're somehow disobeying the Spirit-given instructions. You see, our question is, do men receive Holy Spirit baptism and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit today? Well, if so, then they're disobeying Spirit-given instructions. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, they refuse to perform signs. It's very common when people say, oh, yes, I have Holy Spirit baptism. Yes, I have spiritual gifts. Well, let's see you go to the hospital then and into the hospital. Someone says, oh, that would be tempting God. Why, we can't do anything like that. I want to tell you that men in the Bible could do things like that. Look in your Bible in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Remember that the Lord had promised to these apostles that there would be miracles, wonders, and signs that would follow them wherever they would go. He told them in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 20, that they would have these powers. And in verse 20, it says, They went forth, preaching the word, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. These men actually did it. And here's just one example of it in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12 and down to verse 16. It says, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the people, none of the rest of the people dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the cities surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Everyone. The apostles indeed did have such miraculous power. Why is it 
Oh, I recognize that there are people today who claim to speak in tongues. And we'll talk much more about that tomorrow night. But why is it that people today don't perform large numbers of miracles like this? In fact, they can't perform any. But why don't they go to the hospitals and into the hospitals? There are cancer wards up in Nashville. People dying of cancer every day. Why doesn't someone who has the power here in Middle Tennessee, why don't they go and, and heal those people? I'll tell you why. Because they can't do it. That's why. We're talking about what men claim. But in the Bible, I want to remind you that those men in the Bible, the apostles, they had the power and they did it. And let me further suggest this, that it is not wrong for us to challenge those who claim they have spiritual gifts. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, here John wrote this to the people as he gave them a warning about false teachers in 1 John 4, 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That is, try them, put them to the test, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Then I'm turning to the little book, or the book of Revelation, to the little letter written to the church at Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus said to that church, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and have found them liars. Jesus commended a church that put these teachers to the test. And so we do the same thing today, and we expect commendation. We expect the Lord is pleased with that. And yet some people say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't ask people, you shouldn't ask them to work miracles. If they say they've got miraculous power, then let them work their miracles. That's one of the problems, though. You see, they refuse to perform signs. They say, oh, you're, you're trying to test God. No, God tells me to test you, and that's what I'm doing. Here's a second problem where they disobey spirit-given instructions, and that is they hold to conflicting doctrines. People of many different faiths claim to have miraculous signs from the Spirit. Diverse groups claim to speak in tongues, to have the gift of healing, and so on. And yet Jesus, it was his intent that his people all be one. In John 17, we saw this verse this morning. In John 17, verses 20 and 21, here Jesus said, I do not pray for these disciples alone, but for also all those who will believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us. I want to tell you this evening, folks, that the apostles all preached the same doctrine. They didn't hold conf conflicting doctrines. Peter, Paul, James, John, they all taught the same truth. They all held to the same faith. And yet today, when you see people who profess to claim, profess to have miraculous powers, they hold all sorts of diverse doctrines and are not at all united. Someone says, well, what God is doing is He's honoring the faith of those people. Those people believe in God and, and they believe they can work miracles by the power of God. And so God gives them that power even though they might believe different things. Oh, is that right? And so you've got Mormons who believe that... Did you know that Mormons believe that Jesus is the devil's brother? Did you know that? Mormons, and yet they claim to have spiritual gifts. They claim to speak in tongues. And, of course, you've got your standard Pentecostals and Charismatics. You've got those who believe in one person of the Godhead. Then you've got the Trinity Pentecostals. Why doesn't God fix, straighten out those who are, who are wrong on that? Why doesn't God fix this problem? If God is speaking through all these people and giving them miraculous powers, why doesn't He correct the ones that are wrong? And then in Houston, Texas, we have what is known as the Metropolitan Community Church. Do you know about the Metropolitan Community Church? It is a church, ladies and gentlemen, of practicing homosexuals. Not reformed, not recovered, not regenerated, but practicing homosexuals. 
They claim to have spiritual gifts. They speak in tongues no different than the Pentecostal or Charismatic in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, if someone, if someone really had the spiritual gifts, they would stand head and shoulders above the others. And the truth is, there's only one thing with respect to spiritual gifts that stands head and shoulders above the others, and that's what we find in the Bible. These men in the Bible, these apostles, indeed could work miracles. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, they went forth, preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. And so indeed, these apostles did the very things that Jesus said they could do, the things that men today cannot do. But here's a third problem, a third problem, and that is that the modern claimants to spiritual gifts, they change the purpose of Holy Spirit baptism and spiritual gifts. One of the things that they'll say is that you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Have you ever heard that? Speak in tongues in order to be saved. Now, I want to know where that's at in the Bible. I find speaking in tongues in a few places in the Bible, but I don't ever see anyone in the Bible saying, you've got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Or another claim that is made, someone says, well, if you receive Holy Spirit baptism, you can live completely and perfectly above sin. It empowers you to live a sinless life. Where is that in the Bible? Even men who received Holy Spirit baptism didn't live a sinless life. The Apostle Peter received Holy Spirit baptism in Acts chapter 2, and yet in Galatians chapter 2, he's found guilty of hypocrisy. Now, what they've done is they changed the purpose of Holy Spirit baptism and the spiritual gifts. As we taught you this morning, Holy Spirit baptism and the spiritual gifts had two primary purposes, and that was to reveal and confirm the gospel, to reveal the message of the gospel, and to confirm it by the signs and wonders. That was what we found in the Bible. And yet there are people today who claim they've got the spiritual gifts, but they can neither reveal nor confirm anything. Fourthly, here's another way that they disobey the Spirit-given instructions, and that is they profess to speak in tongues in their assemblies, but without an interpreter. There are specific instructions in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verses 27 and 28. And a lot of people are unaware of this. Even the people who profess to speak in tongues, many of them are unaware of it. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 27 and 28, here specific instructions are given that if there is no interpreter present, then the tongue speaker was to keep silent. It says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 14, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be two, or at the most three, that is, in any given assembly, no more than two or three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. And so a man was not allowed to speak in tongues in an assembly unless there was an interpreter present. Assemblies of Pentecostals and Charismatics are often marked by several speaking at once. And they're not speaking in languages like they were in the Bible. You'll hear babbling, you'll hear gibberish, and there'll be no attempt at all, no attempt at all to interpret what has been said. And so these are just some of the problems. But there's another set of problems I want you to see. And that is, we've asked the question, do men receive Holy Spirit baptism and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit today? Well, if so, they limit the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's often the case that they'll point the finger at us and say, oh, you guys, you limit the power of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 you're the ones who are doing this if indeed you have this power. First of all, they fail they fail to remember all that Jesus said. Remember in John 14, 26, Jesus gave some specific instructions and a promise to his apostles. When he promised them the Holy Spirit baptism, he said in John 14, 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. You know, preachers like Max and Edwin, we work hard on memorizing our outlines. Work hard at memorizing Scripture. These men, these men, the apostles, had perfect memory without memorizing. Because it was given to them as a miraculous promise that the Holy Spirit would bring all things to your, to your memory, whatever I have said to you. And so these men that were miraculously guided by the Spirit, like the apostles, they had an advantage over men today. And yet men today claim they can, they claim they can do the same thing. I had a fellow call in one time on the radio program, and he claimed to have Holy Spirit baptism, and he wanted to show me a particular verse. And he said, I can't remember where that verse is right off. I said, wait a minute. You say you've got Holy Spirit baptism. You claim the same power as the apostles, and you can't remember where the verse is? He said, well, I can't remember the exact book or chapter or number of the verse. I said, well, how does the verse go? He said, well, it's something like this. I said, oh, you're talking about John 1.33. Now, how did I remember John 1.33 not having Holy Spirit baptism? And he couldn't remember it, yet he claimed it. Well, the truth is, he didn't have any, he didn't have any more power than I did with respect to that. And the other truth is, I had memorized where the passage was and he had not. But that's one of the problems, you see. If indeed, if indeed they have Holy Spirit baptism, they ought to remember then all that Jesus said, because Jesus said that would happen to those men. Secondly, these men failed to know all truth. In John 16 and verse 13, Jesus said to his apostles, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And indeed, these men, these apostles, they knew all the truth and they spoke all the truth. But today, today, you have men who profess to have Holy Spirit baptism and sometimes don't know one end of the Bible from the other. Couldn't even tell you the 66 books of the Bible. And it's often the case that they have conflicting doctrines with one another. Again, they ought to all be united and stand in the same truth if indeed they've all got Holy Spirit baptism. But here's another thing they can't do. They cannot raise the dead. You see, claim to have the power of the Spirit, but they fail to raise the dead. Look in your Bible in Acts chapter 9. There's a godly woman named Dorcas, also known as Tabitha in that chapter, who had died. She was a disciple of Jesus, and she died. And they called for the apostle Peter. Now, when they call for Peter, they're expecting Peter to come, and I expect they're, they're thinking that he's going to come and do a funeral service. But instead of a funeral, well, let's see what happened. In Acts 9, verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near to Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and she saw Peter, and she sat up. When he had given her his hand and lifted her up, when he called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. The apostles had such power, and they used such power. They were able to raise the dead. Not that they raised everybody, but they raised people from the dead. You find three times in the book of Acts, disciples doing this. You find three times in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus doing this. About 20 years ago on our radio broadcast in Beaumont, but a gentleman called in, a preacher called in. We were talking about passages like this. 
And a preacher called in and said that God had given him a dead-raising ministry. I said, what do you mean a dead-raising ministry? That's right. God has given me a ministry to the dead, to raise the dead. I said, well, how many have you raised so far? He said, well, not any so far. Well, I knew that. But I said, why haven't you raised any? If God's given you a dead-raising ministry. I mean, this subject just keeps getting deeper and deeper into it. He says, well, he says, I'm a, I was just afraid that once I got started, you know, if I went to the cemetery and raised up one person, it would be so much fun I wouldn't be able to stop. You're saying you might empty a whole cemetery? I might. I said, I'll tell you what, partner. This radio program will be over in about ten minutes, and right down at the end of the street where I am right now, there's the, there's the Forest Lawn Cemetery. I'll meet you down there in, in about twenty minutes. You raise the first one, and I'll raise the rest of them. Oh, you're trying to tempt God. No, I'm testing you. And you see, these men claim to have this power. I want to tell you that men who had Holy Spirit baptism, this is the kind of thing that they actually could do. Reach into the realms of the dead, and by the power of God, bring people back to life. But men today who profess to have that, they fail to raise the dead, and they fail to blind blasphemers. One of my favorite passages... One of my favorite passages in the book of Acts is Acts 13. I love the Apostle Paul and the work that he did and his bold stand for the truth. In Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 7, Paul is at an island called Paphos, and there's a sorcerer there, a false prophet of Jew whose name was Barjesus. Verse 7 says, that he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man, and this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, this proconsul wants to hear him, not this sorcerer bar Jesus. Verse 11 says, Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at, at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on this man, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. I could not tell you how many times... People have called in on the radio program. We, it was a controversial program, to say the least. Edwin did the program for a year, few years while he was in Beaumont. And it was no less controversial while Edwin was there. Maybe more so. But I couldn't tell you how many times that people called in and said, Oh, something bad is going to happen to you just like this. You, you mean someone's going to speak the word and, and God is going to blind me? Yeah, someone has got the power to blind me? And my, my word is, bring it on. And, and I've said that in all sincerity because if I have missed it on spiritual gifts and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if men have it today, I would rather be blinded in my eyes and be able to see the truth that men have it today than to go on in my error because they claimed I was in error. While I, as I've gotten older, I've had to wear glasses, I'm still not blind. They cannot blind their enemies. They cannot, they cannot do anything against their blasphemers. But here is another significant thing that they cannot do. They cannot remove doubt about their so-called miracles. 
One of the things that you see about the apostles who really had miraculous powers is that the enemies acknowledged their miracles. Look in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, here Peter and John have healed a man who had been laid, laid at the gate of the temple. He, he had never walked. It had been years. The man has been lame for a long, long time. And the council here is upset about, these, about what Peter and John have done. And I'm reading from Acts 4, verse 13. It says, When these men on the council, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them, and it is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no one in this name. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. What did these men just acknowledge? They acknowledged that Peter and John had miraculous power. You see, men who had Holy Spirit baptism, they really could work miracles. And their enemies acknowledged that they worked miracles. The doubt was taken away. But some who claim miracles today, well, they can't take away the doubt of their enemies. In fact, they can't work any miracles at all. But it's interesting that when I brought up on the radio program several years ago, the Metropolitan Community Church and their claim to, to the gift of healing and their claim to speak in tongues, some of the Pentecostals called in and said, oh, their, their miracles are fakes. They're not real like ours. Well, what's the difference between the, the church that practices homosexuality? What's the difference in their miracles and yours? What's the difference? There's no difference. Again, if you've really got miracles, you ought to be head and shoulders above them, and there ought to be some real evidence rather than just claims. And then this, ladies and gentlemen. Point number six, how they limit the power of the Spirit. They fail. They fail to actually perform miracles. Instead, they use talk, they use testimony, and they use tricks to deceive people. Listen, don't be duped by these methods that are used to deceive men today. And there are so many stories I can tell you at this point. I don't want to get off track. But the case of Simon the Sorcerer is an outstanding story in Acts chapter 8 that shows us three methods that are used by modern fakers. In fact, there's nothing new because these were the three methods that were used way back then and modern fakers are using the same three methods today. In Acts chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11, it talks about what happened at the city of Samaria, and it says there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city of Samaria, and he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Now, I want you to see three things there, and if you note on your workbook on page 11 toward the top of the page, there's talk, testimony, and tricks. First of all, how did Simon speak of himself? He claimed that he was someone great. 
And it's often the case that men will claim this in great humility. I remember one man on the television a few years ago, and he's crying, and the tears are running down his face, and he's saying, Oh, Lord, why did you choose me? You know what a humble servant I am, and you've chosen me for this great work to take the gospel to the whole world, and Lord, I've got such an important mission, and you've got to help me, and on and on he goes. Well, the truth is, it was a fake humility, and he's claiming that he is someone special in the sight of the Lord. That's what these men often do. Secondly, testimony. What did other people say about Simon? Other people said, this man is the great power of God. And you watch the faith healer, I'm sorry, the faith healer on TV. You watch him, he'll talk about how great he is, and then he'll interview two or three people, and, and you'll think, wow, this man, look at what these people are saying about him. They say they've received miracles from him. And then tricks. What means did Simon use to fool men? It says sorceries. In verse 11, he astonished them with his sorceries. Sorceries means trick. And, and he astonished them for a long time. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the time factor is irrelevant. How long he may have done it doesn't make his fakery the real thing. Uh, it was fraud. That's what this man was guilty of. And whether it was one year or whether it was ten years or twenty-five years that he deceived the people of this city, it was still a deception. And the fact that a man has been established in something for a long time doesn't make what he is doing right. I've got to take just a moment here to tell you the story of a fellow from Upland, California. His name is Peter Popov. He, used to, he still has a television ministry, though he was off the air for about 18, 24 months because he got in real trouble. He had been exposed. A fellow named James Randy, known as the Amazing Randy, a magician, is the one who exposed him. And, and I think there's something interesting about that. This was, this was about 1986, 1987. Uh, if you were a regular watcher of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, uh, every few months the Amazing Randy would come on and he would show his tricks and so on. But Randy was watching this fellow Peter Popoff on the television one, one Sunday evening. And, and he noticed that he's able to go around through the crowd. He goes to an audience and he speaks to this person. He can call out their name, having never met them before. He can, he can tell what their address is. He can tell what their problem is, what their sickness is, or what the issue is in their life. And he wonders, how does this fellow do this? Because he seems to have all this supernatural knowledge. And of course, Popoff says, why, it's the Holy Spirit giving me this information. But James Randi thought it strange that a faith healer would have a hearing aid. And he began to wonder, is that hearing aid really a hearing aid? And he wonders, is it possible that it could be a radio receiver? And so James Randi, and by the way, we had Randi on our radio program a couple of times. He lives in, uh, near Claremont, Florida. We called and had him on our radio broadcast, and he told us how this all came about. And he said what he did was that he decided that he was going to find out how Popoff was performing this trick because he was convinced it was a trick. And so he wondered if this was a radio receiver, and sure enough, it was. What, what Randy did was to go and rent some sophisticated radio scanning equipment. He spent uh, many hundreds, even thousands of dollars getting a truckload of equipment, parked it outside a coliseum where, where Popoff is doing his show and begins to scan all the frequencies. Scan, 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 scans all. Finally, he hits on one. And there's a lady talking. And she says, it's me, Petey. It's Popoff's wife. And she says, okay, the lady in the third row on the left with the red polka dot dress 
Her name is Margaret Brown. She's reading from cards. What happened was, prior to the, prior to the whole show starting, they would have people come in, and here's a person. Uh, they, they've got uh, escorts who bring people in and seat them in special seats. And these special seats are already identified prior to the show starting. And these escorts say, what is your name? They're taking down all this information, putting it on a card, describing how the person looks, what they're wearing, and then they sit in that special seat. And then the show begins, and Popoff goes to the crowd, and his wife is speaking to him and saying, Margaret Brown, who lives at 1121 Palisades Park, etc., etc., and she's got a back problem. She's come here tonight to be healed. And so he starts going through this spiel. And of course, they played these tapes on the Johnny Carson show, and uh, when Randy was on our program, he explained how all this works. But what was it? You see, you get people to give their testimony. Uh, he, Popoff says he's got the power of God. People give their testimony, and then he does his tricks. The very same thing that Simon the Sorcerer did. Now, ladies and gentlemen, fakers have not changed. The same thing they were doing way back then, they're doing even today. By contrast to the deceptions that we've mentioned, Christ and his apostles proved that they were from God by genuine miracles that could not be denied. And the men today who profess to have such power, they cannot do what Christ and his apostles did. You know, there's an old saying that says the proof is in the pudding. If you say you can do it, go ahead and do it. Let's stop talking about it. You know what happens today? See, what we learned this morning, as we learned about how the Holy Spirit confirmed this message by miracle signs and wonders, think what happened. This word was proven by miracles. But today, the false teachers want to, take, want to take this word and prove their miracles. They get it backwards, you see. This word was proven by miracles. They want to prove their miracles by the word. Oh, we've got miracles because the Bible says we've got miracles. No, if you've got miracles, you ought to just be able to work them, and we don't have to discuss it any longer. You know, did the Apostle Paul ever go any place into any city and say, Oh, I've got miracles, and when I was over in such and such city, I sure worked them there. Well, go ahead and work the miracles, Paul. Don't tell us you've got them. Do it. And that's what men today cannot do. Now, let's get to our point tonight. Let's talk, then, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In answer to our question, the answer is no. If they could do it, they would do it. They cannot do it. But let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there are about five or six things I want you to see here that we're going to discuss in the next few minutes. And I think that these will help you to some degree. First of all, Holy Spirit baptism was first spoken of by what person? John the Baptist. It's found in Matthew chapter 3. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. And there's a lot here that we can get out of this text. Matthew chapter 3 and in verse 11. And here John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And by the way, John is not telling who's going to receive Holy Spirit baptism. He's talking about the power that Jesus has. Jesus has the power to baptize people with the Holy Spirit. He has the power to baptize people with fire. Baptism is here used in a figurative sense. It's the idea of being overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the power of the Spirit. And that's the way it was with these apostles who received this. But notice he said, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, how is fire being used there? What is the baptism of fire in that context? Look at verse 10 and verse 12. We've already read verse 11. 
Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I want you to notice that verse 10, 11, and 12 all end with the same word, same context every time. It's talking about the fire of judgment. Eternal punishment. Is the baptism of fire the same as Holy Spirit baptism? Not on your life. Why do men today pray for the baptism of fire? Have you ever wondered why that is? I've heard it over and over again. Oh Lord, send down the baptism of fire. You promised to send it upon us. Why did they do that, Edwin? They don't know what it is. They don't know any better. They lack understanding. And yet it's often the case that these are the men who claim to have this special information from the Holy Spirit. Well, baptism of the Holy Spirit, first spoken of by John the Baptist. And secondly, we're going to say that Holy Spirit baptism, hit the wrong button. I don't like that little sign up there. Okay, it still works. Holy Spirit baptism was a promise. Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Luke 24, 49. As, as Luke is closing out his gospel... He quotes the, some of the final words of Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven. And Jesus said to, his, said to his apostles, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. When he said, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, he doesn't mean he's sending the Father, but he is sending what the Father promised. The Holy Spirit baptism. He is sending that upon them and he calls it a promise. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In Acts 1, 4, and 5, again authored by Luke, it's interesting, the book of Luke takes up right where the book of Acts ended. In Luke, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, not many days from then. They did receive what He promised. Look at verse 8. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they, the apostles, were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And indeed, the apostles received the very thing that Jesus had promised. Holy Spirit baptism was a promise and it came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost just as the Lord had said. Now, the only other case that is recorded in the New Testament of a like happening is in Acts chapter 10, the case of Cornelius, the Gentile soldier Cornelius. Peter goes to his house at some resistance. God has shown him he has to go. He doesn't much want to go. But he begins to preach Jesus to him. And in Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. When Peter spoke about this later, in Acts chapter 11, look at Acts 11, verses 15 through 17. He compared the incident at Cornelius' house to something that had happened earlier. Look at Acts 11. Peter's now gone back to the city of Jerusalem, back to the church in Jerusalem, and he begins to explain his actions. Because there are some who think he's done something wrong. He's not done anything wrong. All he's done is do what the Lord told him to do. But he explains what happened in Acts eleven fifteen. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave when, when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? When Peter describes what happened at the household of Cornelius, he has to go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to Acts 2 to find a similar incident. Because nothing like this had happened since Acts 2. You had a direct outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon men. It happened in Acts 2 upon the apostles. It happens in Acts 10 upon the Gentiles. And this leads us to our next point, ladies and gentlemen. Holy Spirit baptism was received directly from heaven. That is, there was no human intermediary. There was no one who laid hands on anyone. Now, someone says, oh, in Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans. That's right, it did. In Acts 8 and verse 18, it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. There you had an intermediary. But look in your Bible in John 1.33. John 1.33 will tell you something important, significant, about Holy Spirit baptism. Here, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus, and again, talking about the power of Jesus. And he says this in Acts 1, or John 1, He speaks concerning Jesus, I did not know him, but he, that is the Father who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, only one is ever spoken of in the Scriptures who could administer Holy Spirit baptism. All the other cases, whether it's Acts 8, Romans 1, or Acts 19, all the other cases of men in the New Testament receiving the spiritual gifts in the book of Acts and beyond had to do with the laying on of apostles' hands. But in this case, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, it was received directly from heaven. That's one of the things that made it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And only these two cases are described in that way in the New Testament. But I want to go a step further. Holy Spirit baptism served as a sign from God. In Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Go there with me. Acts 2, verses 14 to 16. There it served as a sign... It served as a sign that the apostles were God's spokesmen. It proved that God was speaking through them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, after this outpouring of the Spirit has come, the apostles are speaking in tongues. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he goes on to quote from Joel chapter 2 and says this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy about the outpouring of the Spirit. 
And, and what does this say? It says that we are God's spokesmen. And this outpouring of the Spirit was given upon the apostles to reveal all truth to them. Remember what Jesus had said in John 16, 13, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. But someone says, what, what about Acts 10? Did this guide Cornelius into all truth? No. It guided the people of God, in this case, into one truth. And that was Gentile salvation. With the apostles guided them into all truth, but one truth revealed. You see, up from the time of Acts 2 all the way up to Acts 10, no Gentiles have been converted. In fact, there was resistance on the part of these Jewish Christians to even go to the Gentiles. But in Acts chapter 10, the Gospel went to the Gentiles and God put His stamp of approval on what was happening by sending this direct outpouring from heaven. Listen to how Peter spoke of it. Acts 15. Acts 15, verses 7 through 9. Acts 15, verses 7 through 9. This is Peter speaking in Jerusalem. Again, giving explanation about what happened at Cornelius' house. It says, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. What did it demonstrate? That the Gentiles could be saved in the same way that the Jews were saved, that they could be saved by faith. Holy Spirit baptism did just as much for you and for me. When it came upon the Gentiles, it did just as much for you and me as it did for Cornelius. Because what it demonstrated was that Gentiles could be saved. That's the purpose of it in Acts chapter 10. Now, I have to say this, that neither Cornelius nor the apostles were saved by Holy Spirit baptism. The apostles were already saved before they received it in Acts 2. Jesus had said in John 15, 3, You are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. And Cornelius, he wasn't saved until he was baptized in water. Acts 10, 48, he still had to be baptized. Sometimes people say, Oh, well, Cornelius, he received Holy Spirit baptism to prove that he was already saved. Not so. It was given to prove that he and all Gentiles could be saved. And we love to study Acts 10 today because it says that sinners like Max, sinners like you, we can be saved. We're Gentiles. We can be saved. And the case of Acts chapter 10 demonstrates that. Let me give you one, of, one other thing on this point. Holy Spirit baptism was not administered to all believers. There is widespread misunderstanding, even among many of God's own people, that somehow Holy Spirit baptism was given to every Christian in the first century. It is just not so, my brethren. It is just not so. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, about 63 or 64 A.D., in Ephesians 4 or 5, Paul said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, we know that there are about a half a dozen things in the New Testament that are called baptism. There was John's baptism. There's Holy Spirit baptism. There was even baptism under Moses. But in, in A.D. 64, Paul says one baptism. That is, one baptism that is authorized to be administered to all people. And that is, indeed, water baptism. That is the one baptism that is authorized. So, Holy Spirit baptism was never administered to all believers. The only two recorded cases you can find is Acts 2 and Acts 10. Now, I had someone on the radio broadcast one time, and I apologize for referring to the radio broadcast so much, but listen. 
It was about controversy. And this is one of the most controversial topics you'll ever find. I had a preacher call in one time and said, well, the way it is, Holy Spirit baptism and water baptism, you see, Holy Spirit baptism is half of it. Water baptism is the other half. And so that's how you get one baptism out of two. You see, if we understand the Holy Spirit baptism is baptism and then water baptism is, well, then you've got two baptisms. And I had a fellow call in and say, no, that's not right. Holy Spirit baptism is only half a baptism. Water baptism is only half a baptism. You put the two halves together, you get one baptism. I think that's strange math where one plus one equals one. Well, in any case, let me say something in closing today about water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism because there's often a great deal of confusion. People take water baptism passages and apply them to Holy Spirit baptism. Let me make two lists here very briefly that I think will help us to understand that Holy Spirit baptism is distinct from water baptism. First of all, Holy Spirit baptism was a promise to a few. In fact, it was only specifically a promise to the apostles. Though it applied to Cornelius also, it was only specifically promised to a few. Water baptism, by contrast, was a command to all. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Holy Spirit baptism was administered only by Christ. John 1.33. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. By contrast, water baptism is administered by men. When Jesus was sending the disciples out into all the world to preach the gospel, He told to them, Go, teach, baptize. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptize them. He told these men to go. He told these men to teach. He told these men to baptize. When these men go out, what baptism do they administer? Why, they administer water baptism. You see in Acts chapter 8, they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You never saw a single man ever in the book of Acts, not a single man on this earth, apostle, disciple, or whatever, who ever administered Holy Spirit baptism. The only baptism that men could ever administer was water baptism. Yet Holy Spirit baptism was administered by Christ. John chapter 1, verse 33. And then this. Holy Spirit baptism was a sign from God. In Acts chapter 2, it served as a sign that Jews could be saved. In Acts chapter 10, it served as a sign that Gentiles could be saved. Whereas water baptism is not a sign, it's an act of faith on the part of men. It's a response to Jesus, to people who believe the gospel. Jesus in Mark 16 and verse 15 and 16 had said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And so it's a demonstration of one's faith when one is baptized into Christ. Baptism is for the remission of sins. Again, an act of faith, those people on the day of Pentecost, after they heard the gospel sermon, they cried out and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Holy Spirit baptism was temporary. You've only got a couple cases of it recorded in the New Testament anyway. And even there, it was only temporary, only given to a few. And by the time of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, by 64 A.D., one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There was no more other baptisms at that point in time. Whereas water baptism... That's something that will continue to the end of the world. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go, teach all nations. He went on to say in verse 20, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. As you go forth preaching the gospel, teaching all nations, baptizing them, I am with you to the end of the world. 
And so that is the age-lasting baptism. Let me make just this closing comment that sometimes Pentecostals and Charismatics ridicule those who don't claim to have Holy Spirit baptism. And if you don't profess to speak in tongues, they'll treat you as though you're some kind of second-class believer. But in reality, those who profess Holy Spirit baptism and spiritual gifts today, rather than being on the high spiritual plane which they claim to be on, they are among the most confused of all professing believers. And it is indeed ironic that they generally have little understanding of the very thing that they claim for themselves. There's not a single point that we've taught today about Holy Spirit baptism that they would agree with. And yet we've seen what the Bible says. These people are in conflict with what the Bible says on Holy Spirit baptism, yet they claim to have it and claim to know all things, claim to have all truth. Don't ever be intimidated. My brothers and my sisters, young or old, don't you ever be intimidated by those who profess to have Holy Spirit baptism and spiritual gifts. Those who have obeyed the gospel, as we're going to see on Tuesday night, as we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, those who have obeyed the gospel are the only ones who have the right to claim a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's you. That's me. And we say that not in arrogance, but we say that as a statement of truth. And we would to God that everyone the world over would indeed have a right relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Don't be intimidated by these who've gone off into terrible errors. You have a right relationship with God. If you're abiding in Christ, Christ is abiding in you. The Father is abiding in you. And the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. Someone says, I want to know what that means, the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. You've got to be here Tuesday night then, okay? Right now, we're going to sing the invitation song number 401. We've talked about water baptism here in the close of our lesson. That it's a command to all, and if you've not done it, it's a command to you. It is administered by men. Everyone is prepared to baptize you into Christ today. It's an act of faith by men. If you have faith in Jesus, you can be baptized. And it's something that will continue to the end. It began, it began almost 2,000 years ago, and it will continue until the last day of planet Earth. Last day is too late, so don't wait till then. Do you tonight ready to be, do you need to be baptized into Christ? Are you ready to be baptized? We're going to urge you. If you need to obey the Lord Jesus in baptism, or if you need to be restored, we're going to urge you to respond to the Lord's invitation right here, right now. Why don't you come while we stand and sing? I hope Brother Dawson's lesson has helped you as you've studied about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have any questions about the Spirit, about His work, about His baptism, or if you have any questions about the Franklin Church, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may check out our website. It's www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on audio tape. If that's the case, may I encourage you to please go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons in outline and audio format, and you're free to download them and use them in whatever way you believe will honor and glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.